Okay. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. And while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face, and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them, and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Let's commit this time to him and let's thank him for this word that he has already shared with us this morning. Father, we do thank you for your precious word. We do thank you that we can go to it trusting every word within it. And we do thank you that you've preserved it for us, that it might encourage us and teach us and show us your ways to show us who you are and who we are and, and what you would have us to do. We do thank you this morning that we can meet in this way, that we have the freedom to learn from your word. And we do pray that we would take every opportunity, Father, to um, allow it to grow in our lives and bear fruit for you. Bless us now as we seek to learn more of you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I teach, uh, as most of you know, a history class uh, at the Bible College. And uh, history is an, uh, an incredible thing. I would encourage everyone to, to learn more history because the more history you learn, the more you'll understand our days and how uh, the world doesn't seem to be changing. It seems to be staying pretty much the same. Men are always the same. It just seems to be the same mistakes they make over and over again. Um, one of the things that we see in history is that it's littered uh, with the stories of countless failed leaders People who had promised their followers glory and success, uh, but instead led them into either massacres and death and failed conquests. Whether it was uh, Napoleon who, uh, who lost the Battle of Waterloo, whether it was Maxentius uh, at the Battle of Milvian Bridge when he, uh, when he fought with uh, Constantine and lost there, um, or a multitude of other military failures. The Crusades, for instance, and that's one of the uh, topics that we cover in the, uh, the subject of uh, the church history uh, in the Middle Ages, um, was riddled with failures and, and false promises. And, and although there were, there were plenty of uh, promises made by churches and leaders uh, about glory for God and those sorts of things, it was also filled with defeats and plenty of deaths. In a similar fashion, uh, religious leaders... Uh, have promised often salvation to their followers, salvation or, or, um, or leading into truth or, or those sorts of things, or some new idea that would change their lives radically, uh, have often resulted in failures and deaths. Uh, I think spe uh, specifically of a fellow called Jim Jones, who started off as a faith healer, uh, became a cult leader and eventually led 900 people to a suicidal death in a place called Jonestown, Guyana. There have been many, many others. And one of the most uh, perilous type of false teachers Jesus uh, spoke about, warned about um, that there'd be those who would come saying that they were the Christ or were coming in his name. 
um, up until uh, Jesus was born, there had already been a number of people who had presented themselves as the Messiah, the Christ, uh, to the Jewish people, saying that, that God had sent them. And many people had already lost their lives because of um, put them putting their trust in those people. And Jesus warned at the, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, and he said, And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Uh, even though there had been many uh, false Christs that had come up to the point of Jesus, Jesus said there'd be more that would come after him. And that was also a sign of the, of the last days as well. Following a, a, a false leader can be a very dangerous thing to do. Um, oftentimes, uh, people lose their lives when they follow a leader into a, a wrong course. In this world, there are many false leaders, many false religious leaders, and many false teachers uh, that, that pervade the landscape of this, this term we call religion. And there are many people that follow them, putting their lives into their hands. And for a small band of people, or for a small band of men especially, who chose to follow Jesus, they knew in their hearts that they were not only putting their lives on the line here, that they would, uh, could die for following Jesus if he was the wrong, if he was another false Messiah, but they were also putting their eternal souls into his hands. And if he was wrong, if he wasn't the right one, then they could lose their eternal lives, not just their temporal lives. Yet, they left all. And they chose to, uh, chose to follow Jesus, who claimed to be the Christ and the Son of God. And today we will examine how Jesus, um, why he brought them up to the mountain and how he put their minds to rest on that mountain where he was transfigured before them. Let me recap quickly what we uh, looked at last week. So last week we focused on verses 1 and 2 alone. And we looked at the preaching of the kingdom of God with Jesus as the coming king. So he preached the kingdom of God is at hand. He, says, he told them to repent, to prepare themselves for the coming of his kingdom to this world. But Jesus had not been received. The leaders had become more and more hostile towards him. The religious leaders who should have recognized him became more hostile towards Jesus. And many people were still very ignorant, thinking Jesus was just another teacher or another prophet that was coming through. The main problem that they were, the, were looking at or looking for was that they were looking for a king, a conquering king, who would come and defeat the Romans because in their mind, the greatest problem they had was the Roman Empire. They thought their struggle or their biggest issue was a political one. When Jesus came and said, no, 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 your struggle isn't, your problem isn't the, the, a political one, it's a spiritual one, and you need to get that right first, they struggled with that whole idea. And so more and more people became antagonistic towards him. They didn't want him because he wasn't giving them what they wanted. We see these riots taking place in... Um, in America at the moment, and there was an injustice that was uh, that was done to that man. And yes, those those uh, police officers should actually be brought uh, to justice, but we see the nature of man that instead of protesting peacefully and 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 demanding justice, there are 
there's another element that comes into it. People want justice violently. Jesus did not speak in terms of revolution. He never spoke about uprisings. Instead, he spoke about in terms of the holiness that God required of those who would call themselves his children or to become part of his kingdom. People haven't changed. People are still looking for political solutions to all things. They think, people think in this world that their biggest problems are political ones, that the politics can actually change society. He said, the Bible tells us that the biggest problem of mankind are spiritual ones. And even though you may put the best laws in place, you may even have the best government, the underlying nature of man does not change. It can only be changed, can only be sorted out by a person being born again and saved. So the people weren't ready to receive Jesus. And Jesus knew this already. He already knew the way they would respond anyway. But he went to his disciples and he questioned them and he asked them, who do they, who did they think he was? And Peter answered for the group, apparently, and he responded and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Perfect answer. And Jesus says, that didn't even come from you, that came from my father who gave that to you. And the Bible teaches us from that point, Jesus began to explain that he would go and suffer and be betrayed, be handed to, across to the Gentiles, and that he would die. So Jesus began to prepare his disciples for that. The scripture then said that Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, he said that he charged his, his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forward, in verse 21, began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So Jesus began to prepare his disciples from that time for the inevitability of his suffering and death and that the same would probably come for them. They should not focus on the glory of the earthly kingdom but instead be prepared to carry a cross when they followed Jesus in a world that would reject them and their Lord. In this context, Jesus asked the, the, the three disciples to come up a mountain apart from the world to pray together. And after they had prayed, and apparently they had fallen asleep because they had worn themselves out, Jesus alone was left to pray. And while he prayed, the Bible says that he was transfigured before them. In Matthew 17, verse 2, it says he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as the light. You know, have you ever, have you ever had um, or you've been asleep with your eyes closed and a bright a light shines on your face and wakes you up? Because even though your eyelids are shut, it's not perfectly dark and you notice the light coming through. Well, that's what happened with the disciples. You see, they were sleeping. And when Jesus was transfigured before them, the Bible, the, they, they told us that his face was shining as a sun. Well, that would have woken them up. And they, they opened their eyes to see him as they had never seen him before. In Luke chapter 9, verse 32, it says, But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep. 
And when they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. I challenged this last week to consider the cost of following Jesus. That even, even though <clears throat> um, we are in the Western world have the freedom to, to follow Christ, there is still a cost that comes. There is still ridicule that comes. There are still those who would, who would call us foolish and blind. But the question I asked was, if persecution does come, would you have followed Jesus as his disciples did, even though they were facing death and they knew that he would face death? I asked us to think about the calling of us carrying the cross each day. And to understand that the early church had a, a great deal of suffering. And even though we might not be suffering as they were, there may come a day when that might come. And in the midst of it, if we can't actually um, speak with confidence and be bold with our witness, with no persecution, what will happen when the persecution does come? We also ask us to consider the importance of prayer as a means of transport, transporting us to that place, that high place, that place is apart, where we come before the throne of God in heaven. And I looked at the mountain as a picture of us being in heaven with the Lord when we speak with him. So prayer is an important thing. And that Jesus prays also. That he speaks and intercedes with the Father on our behalf. <clears throat> so just going back for a moment to the way the disciples would have interpreted what Jesus told them when he began to tell them, I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer and die. It was inevitable that they would have had doubts and uncertainties and questions. They, they would have been filled with questions because they understood that Jesus was the Messiah, the one who was to, to reign on the throne, and yet here he is telling them that he's going to die. It would have been perfectly natural for them to be concerned about those things. And Jesus knew this, of course. So the trip to the mountain would grant them what they needed to strengthen their faith, to confirm to them already what they had come to believe and put their trust in. And then in turn, they could come down off that mountain and encourage their brethren as well. So how did Jesus do, do this? Well, he essentially confirmed what Peter, James and John had already come to believe about him. Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter declared that thou art the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter made two statements in one. They believed that Jesus was the Christ and the, and the Son of God. As, Je as Christ, Jesus was the promise of God made to Adam and Eve. The same promise made to I Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The same promise made to King David, the descendant of all these people, who would, be who would become the second Adam for mankind, the new start, the perfect sacrifice for sin, and the righteous king who would rule on the throne of his father David. But the Son of the living God was the eternal one, the all-powerful one, the one powerful enough to defeat Satan and all of his fallen angels, the one who was perfect and righteous by his very nature, 
the one who was already king of heaven and that would bring the kingdom of heaven to this earth. He was the one who was supremely qualified to demonstrate the amazing love of God to mankind. He would reveal the very nature of God to man. You see, John 3.16, as most of you know it, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This Jesus was the Son of God, and he showed us the love of God and the character of God. The disciples had followed the Messiah, the promised one, but now they were going to see the Son of God. When Jesus revealed his other nature to them, when he actually showed them that nature, yes, they must have thought they were right to believe him. He is almighty, the one that has created us and mankind. And he's loved us so much that he was willing to come to this earth personally to save us. As both perfect man and God, as both of those things, Jesus becomes the perfect representative for both parties. You see, both parties were at war with each other. They were alienated from each other. We rebelled and left. God had every right to judge us. And God sends his son as a man with both his nature and the nature of man And he becomes the mediator between both to bring us peace together with God. He became the perfect sacrifice for God. He fulfilled the justice and the love of God. And he was, by his very nature, the only one in the universe who death could not hold. I want you to understand something. Neither death, nor grave, nor the hell, nor Satan could hold Jesus in that grave. And the reason is, he's the son of God. Hell not only was a place for those who had sinned and, and, and died in sin, but hell was also a holding place for the fallen angels. You see, not, not even the, the, the angels could get out of there. They were locked up in that prison. But as the son of God, Jesus couldn't be held. Neither by death, which comes upon every man, nor by hell. See, angels don't experience death. Man experiences death and then experiences hell. The angels experience hell. And Jesus could not be held by either one of them. He was the almighty son of God who walked with mankind. There are other places that are recorded in the Bible that must have come to mind when they saw Jesus shining in this particular way that must have alerted them to the fact that this was God in the flesh in front of them. Imagine for a moment what they saw. The the exact words say he was transfigured. He was changed before them. And it says his face did shine as the sun and his raiment, his clothes were white as light. Imagine what they saw. Imagine what they experienced, what they felt when they saw Jesus in this way. There are many references in the Bible that refer to God as light. And his glory as very bright that shines like the sun. Turn with me for a moment to Psalm 104. We're going to look at just one example of that now. 
Psalm 104, and we'll read from verses 1 to 5. Psalm 104, verses 1 to 5. Psalm 104, verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honour and majesty, who coverest thyself with light as with a garment, who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain, who layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters, who maketh the clouds his chariot, who walketh upon the wings of the wind, who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flame of fire, who laid the foundations of the earth that it should not be removed forever. I love those words. Those words are some of the most poetic words you'll ever read. He covers himself in a light, in light like a garment. I love that phrase. I love the phrase where he says he stretches out the heavens. He rides the clouds like a chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. And did you recognize verses 4 and 5? Have you read them somewhere else before? Yes, you may have. Because Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament quotes these very verses as identifying who Jesus is. This passage is obviously speaking about God and the power of his glory. It says, you created all things. And verse 1 says, bless the Lord, O O Lord my God. But then it begins to say that he covers himself with light like a garment. And then it says that he, he stretches out the heavens. He laid the foundations of the earth. He has angels, which are his ministering spirits, his servants. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1. And we'll read verses 6 to 10 this morning. Because Hebrews was written to explain who Jesus is. This God who covers himself in light as a garment. And when the disciples saw Jesus' garments glowing like light, may have very well thought of those verses in Psalm 104. And Hebrews which I believe is is written by the Apostle Paul, explains and uses those verses to explain who Jesus is. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 to 10, says, And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, that's Jesus, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is for ever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And... Thou, Lord, this is speaking to the Son again, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the works of thine hands. Hebrews is quoting Psalm 104 and it's referring to Jesus as the Son of God. And his transfiguration before his disciples, that, that, that glow, that light, that he manifested 
was him showing them. Guys, you read Psalm 4? Let me show you exactly what that means. Because even though his glory was cloaked with his humanity, he allowed a glimmer of that light to come through. What's interesting um, in the Old Testament is that as I was looking at the references and verses um, that describe God as a shining light or as a sun, um, most of them actually referred to were prophecies about the Christ, the Son of God. Listen to, listen to this verse here. Isaiah 9.2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. That is a direct prophecy about Jesus, about the Christ. Did you recognize that verse? Yes. Matthew quotes that verse in Matthew 4.16. While, while Isaiah is speaking really about God, he's, he's prophesying about the Messiah. Matthew then uses that to speak about Jesus. In the millennial kingdom, to be ruled by Christ, and after that time, Isaiah records these words. Turn to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3 with me for a moment. Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3. It says there, Arise, shine, for thy light is come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light and the kings to the brightness of thy rising. The Lord himself shall be the light of the world in the new creation. Go down to verse 19 in Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 19. Look at what it says. Who is going to be the light? It says, The sun, this is the new creation, The sun shall be no more thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto thee, but the Lord shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. The sun shall no more go down, Neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord shall be thine everlasting light, and the days of thy mourning shall be ended. No more need for a sun or a moon to give the earth light. In fact, it says, God himself shall be the light of the entire world. Notice it says in verse 19, But the Lord, see, capital L-O-R-N-D, is the name Jehovah. It says, but Jehovah shall be unto thee an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. So it's speaking specifically about God being the glory of the world and giving that light. Isaiah 20 also says, 60.20 says, for the Lord shall be thine everlasting light. The Apostle John refers to this passage when he speaks about the new Jerusalem. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, he says, and you don't need to turn me just there because it's only one verse. Revelation 22, verse 5, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, 
neither light of the sun, for the Lord giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Same thing. The Lord, God, shall give them the light. You know, Malachi prophesied about the, the second coming of Christ. The second coming, not, not the first, the second coming. So he's, he's already come, and, and when he comes again, Malachi prophesies about that. And if you go to Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, we have a few scripture verses today because I want to show you um, how Jesus is this light and how he is God and how he revealed himself to be the Son of God to his disciples to encourage them. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1 says, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn it up as an oven. Now that is, that's the, the judgment of God upon the earth. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day shall come, uh, they that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of righteousness. Now, you've got Son there, haven't you? My version has, the KJV has capital S for Son, as in the Son. That gives us light. The Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. The Son of Righteousness shall arise even in those last days when God's judgment comes upon the earth with healing in his wings. That's Jesus Christ, who will come again. Not only the Son of God, but the Son of Righteousness shining as the sun. Not only did Malachi see the, the coming vision of Christ's return to the earth as the Son of God with healing in his wings, but Daniel, the prophet Daniel, also had a vision of the Son of God. If you turn to Daniel chapter 7, verses 9 to 10, Daniel has a vision of the future. And he has a vision of the Son of God sitting upon the throne. Daniel 7, 9 says, And I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow. Listen to this description. Whose garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head like the pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand, thousands ministered unto him. That means served him. And 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. Do you know who the Bible says that, that will be the judge of the entire earth? Is Jesus. Jesus will come. The thrones will be set up. He will sit on the throne on this earth. And he will judge the nations. And it says that his, his garment was white. His hair is white like wool. And it says before him he's sitting on a fiery throne. Do you not think that when the apostles or when, the, when these disciples saw Jesus shining like the sun, they would have thought about verses like these. Thinking to themselves, this is the one who's coming again later. This is the one who, who Malachi speaks of, who Daniel speaks of, who Isaiah speaks of. This is the one. 
Of course they would. And the Apostle John had an extra privilege. You see, he not only got to see Jesus transfigured on that mountain, but he saw him in a vision later on as well. And if you turn to Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, and we'll read to verses 16, John sees him again. After he's glorified, after he's in heaven, after he has died and risen again on the third day and ascended there, the Bible says, Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of these seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool. That sounds exactly like Daniel saw. As white as snow. And his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass. As if they burned in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And in his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. His countenance, his visage, his, his, his look was shining like the sun. What a vision of Jesus. He saw him in glory on the mountain and then he gets to see him again in glory. He's white as the snow. His eyes are like a fire. His feet like glowing brass as if they were heating in a... Heated in a furnace. His voice sounds like the roar of an ocean. He's holding seven stars in his hand, a sword of the word of God going out of his mouth, and his face is shining like the sun. Shining like the sun in front of John was evidently too much for him to take. This, this picture of glory, this, this vision that he had of Jesus caused him to fall down dead at his feet. He passed out. He was gone. But look at what Jesus does to him. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17. Look at the next very next verse. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. Yeah, Jesus reassured John. He said to him, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm the first and the last. I died. I've risen again. And I am never going to die again. I have the keys of hell and death. And I'm on your side. I'm for you. And this is the very reason that Jesus transfigured himself before his disciples. And it's captured in the, those two verses of that passage. He wanted them not to fear what was to come. Because he was the Almighty who was with them. He was the Almighty that they were following. He could not be defeated. Even though he was killed on a cross. He would win the victory over sin, death, and hell. What a thing to witness for John and the others who were on that mountain on that day. 
But in addition to that, so the witness they got that day, the evidence they got was Jesus was God in the flesh, the Son of God. In addition to this, there were two other witnesses, actually three other witnesses. Two of them, the Bible says, one was Moses, one was Elijah, and the other was God the Father himself. And Peter, when he, saw the, the, when he saw Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and we're going to look at this next week as well, we're going to focus a bit more on Moses and Elijah. Next week, when he sees them, he has this great idea of building three tabernacles, one for each of them. Instead, instead they... <laughs> someone's having a stretch next to me. Instead, they... He says to them, uh, this cloud comes upon them. And they, they don't see anything. But they hear a voice. And this voice is from God the Father. And they fall down in fear. And I want you to look at what Jesus does to them next. And I want you to think about what Jesus did with John the Apostle when he saw him in all his glory. It says in Matthew 17, 5, so go back to that, that, the, our main passage. It says that while he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. So, so they've seen, they've seen the Jesus transfigured and they see Moses and Elijah are talking with him. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. Did you know that the same Jesus that touched them and said, Hey, it's okay, don't be afraid. He's the same Jesus that put his hand upon John and said, Don't be afraid. And it's the same Jesus that says, I'm the first and the last. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. This is the same Jesus who comes to us and tells us, don't fear, fear not. Because if you trust in me, there is no reason to fear. Because I am the Almighty. I am the One who is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. I have the keys of hell and death. No one can take you there anymore. I'm the one who controls that now. Fear not, because God loves you. Fear not, because I've defeated death for you. Fear not, because I will never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not, because my grace is always sufficient for you. Fear not, because I'm preparing a place for you. Fear not, because I'm coming soon to bring you home. How can I have this much trust in a carpenter who grew up in Nazareth, in a town that I've never seen before, in a place that's fairly insignificant compared to the major cities of this world? How can I put my trust in the son of a carpenter who didn't go to university, who didn't invent anything that we know of. Because God the Father 
gave his witness that day and said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Listen to him what he has to say. The very reason that you can choose not to be afraid today if you've believed in Jesus it's because you've put your trust in the Almighty who will never let you down. You may, you and I may not know what will come tomorrow, but he does. You and I might not have the strength to face tomorrow, but he does. And the promises that he made are always faithful, are always true. And regardless of whatever happens on this earth, Jesus has defeated death already, so there's no need to fear death anymore because if he is with you, death really is only the door to him now. His love for you and me will never die. His grace for you and I will never be depleted and his power will never diminish. He is the Almighty and you can have every confidence when you've put your trust and your eternal soul into his hands. Unlike all the, the false religious leaders that have gone before, unlike those who were false messiahs and false teachers, unlike those military leaders who promised everything but couldn't deliver, you know what? Every promise Jesus makes, he delivers and can deliver. And he is the Messiah. He is the one who was prophesied in the Bible. We have hundreds of verses in the Bible that speak about him specifically that he fulfilled in his own life. You can trust him. I don't know what fears you have today. I don't know what struggles you're, you're going through. But if you have Jesus, you have every reason to be confident about today and tomorrow because your life is in his hands. And the Apostle Peter, I just want to share one more uh, passage of scripture with you this morning. The Apostle Peter was up there on that mountain. I've spoken about John and how he saw another vision. But the Apostle Peter actually writes and mentions this specific time that he had with Jesus up on that mountain in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. And I just want to close off with that passage this morning because I want to share with you what our responsibility is and who it is we've chosen to follow so that we can have confidence, we can have hope, for the future because our hope is in him and he will never fail second peter chapter 1 verse 16 says now listen to peter's words he was on that mountain with those three he says for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our lord jesus christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty for he received from the Father, from God the Father honour and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What's he quoting? He's quoting when that cloud came upon them and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm verifying who he is. And verse 18 says, and this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. What fears do you have today? Is there any fear that you have? Is there any concern that you have that's bigger than Jesus? 
Is there anything that he can't take care of in your life? No, he can take care of everything. You know, Peter, I, I, I think of Peter often. And I think that he denied Jesus three times. In Jesus' most difficult time, when he had been handed over, when he'd been betrayed, when he was about to be crucified, and they said to Peter, aren't you with him? And he said, no, not me. I'm not with him. And he did that three times. How must Peter have felt after that? How much fear did Peter have in his own life to deny Jesus that he even knew him three times? How much fear did he have about maybe being taken away as well? But how much self-loathing would he, would he have had as well when he denied the Lord? When he denied the one who was only ever good to him? When he denied Jesus who had only ever loved him? When he knew that Jesus was being un unjustly judged by people. Can you imagine how he would have felt about himself? How badly he would have felt for letting Jesus down. And yet here he is, years later, writing these words. Glorifying Jesus. Telling everyone about who Jesus was. Or who Jesus is. What fears do you have today? Are you concerned about who you've put your trust in? Well, don't be concerned because he is the one who was promised from the beginning. He is the son of God. He is the Christ. He is the savior of the world and he has shown it over and over again. We have a testimony of not just Peter, James and John. We have, as we'll look at next week, the testimony of Moses, Elijah and God the Father himself. You have no reason to fear if your eternal soul is in the hands of Jesus because he cannot lose. And as Peter has demonstrated, even though he was probably full of fear and failed himself, even though he denied Jesus, even knowing him himself, even though you and I fail from time to time. In Jesus, we have it all. And there is no reason to fear the future because the future for us has been secured. Our job, because our future has been secured and we don't need to worry about tomorrow. We don't need to, we don't need to fear tomorrow. Regardless of what comes upon us, our job is to glorify him. Our job is to testify of him, is to be a witness about him. We have a testimony of God's word. We have a testimony of God himself. And we have the testimony that Jesus has changed our lives. So this morning, my prayer for you is, and my challenge to you is, is if you have any fears in life, there is no, there is no need for you to continue in those fears and living in fear. Go to the Lord in prayer. Commit your life to Him. Trust that everything that comes to pass from now until we go home to be with Him in heaven is in His hands and that you are safe. And if you are safe and your life is dedicated to glorifying Him, then you can live the most glorious and fulfilling life you can ever imagine. A life filled with peace, and grace and joy.
that comes from knowing God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God bless you all. I pray you have a wonderful week coming up. Uh, for those of you who are thinking of coming on Wednesday evening, we would love to see you all there. We really are looking forward to, to catching up face to face again. But until then, I pray that the Lord blesses you and that you put your trust in him more and more each day. God bless you.